love you guys. What an awesome day. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Are you good? You fired up, man. I'm fired up. You guys, 8:30. You're the warm-up service. So if we screw it all up here, we get two times to make it right. But uh, no, guys, I'm so excited about this third service edition. We're creating capacity for uh, all the people that God is bringing to our church, creating more discipleship opportunities, opportunities to study the Bible together, to worship together, and it really is an awesome win. So I'm glad that you're here. And today we're also starting a new series called Gospel: How Jesus Forgives Sin, Beats Death, and Renews All Things. Today's going to be all about the life of Jesus. And in the, the coming weeks, we're gonna stay focused on the themes of his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and ultimately his second coming. And I'm also fired up today because about a decade ago, the gospel radically changed my life. I was depressed. I was a porn and a drug addict. I was chronically angry all the time. Uh, I'm Irish, so I've got two emotions, angry and sleeping. And uh, I just, I was a disaster. And Jesus, what he did a decade ago in my life is he stepped into my story. I got connected to this gospel news and he overhauled and transformed my entire life. And I have the same conviction that that's possible for you today, which is why we want to focus so much on the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. We rally around this every single, every single week. And today, what today is about, it's about the life of Jesus, but not just about the life of Jesus. It really is, in a sense, about your life. Every single person in this room, I don't know what you walked in here with, but what I know we all have in common is we are all in pursuit of the life that is truly life. We all wanna flourish. We're asking these big existential questions. Where am I going to find uh, the kind of satisfaction and fulfillment to the deepest desires of my soul? And Jesus, what he wants to do is he wants to lead you there. And so today is about the kind of question that we ask to say, where am I gonna find steel in my spine, uh, find steel from my spine when darkness hits my life? And Jesus, what he's gonna do is he's gonna offer content contentment, happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment beyond anything that the world can offer you. But what we're gonna see is oftentimes it's different than what we would actually expect. And so, you know, it's really interesting as I've been reflecting on this, there's a lot of scholarship on why Jesus died, right? But we don't really have a lot of really great answers for why Jesus lived. And so that's why I wanna, what I wanna talk about today is his life. In fact, if you look at the, the creeds, the earliest creeds of Christianity, we've, we've got, you know, Jesus was, uh, he was born to the Virgin Mary, and then what? He died under Pontius Pilate. And it's like we just kind of left out 33 years, and really we don't know a lot about Jesus' uh, early 30 years before he entered into vocational ministry, uh, but what we do know is that he is the most famous person who's ever lived. The Bible has sold more copies than any other book in human history. Jesus single-handedly has revolutionized history, cultures, and nations, and over the past couple thousand years, there's been billions of people that have identified as followers of Jesus. And so the first thing that I want to point out to you about the life of Jesus is things are not always as they may seem with Jesus. As modern people, we tend to have a vision of Jesus that he's very non-threatening, right? He's just kind of like a safe-for-the-family type guy, all about loving your neighbor. He was voted nicest guy, most huggable in high school, right? He's this very non-threatening uh, person that's all about living a good and a moral life. And this is, of course, to miss the scandal of his entire life. In fact, if you start with Jesus' hometown, like, do you know the scandal of his hometown? You would think the Christ, the Messiah coming, that he would end up starting off in Jerusalem, which was where the temple 
temple was. It was the, the pinnacle of religious thought and idea and theology. That's where edu- the, all, the education sphere was. You'd think that God would show up there, but he shows up to like the modern equivalent of like a custer, okay? Like this is, this is Jesus's hometown. Is one, like one comedian I was actually listening to recently, he said, he said this. He said, he grew up so redneck in winter, he had two tank tops, okay? Like that's... That's Jesus's hometown. Everybody had accents. There was mullets, right? It had like this Joe Dirt-esque type vibe. Like that's where Jesus is from. That's his hometown. He spent 30 years in obscurity, right? We know he worked in the family business, Mary and Joseph, mom and stepdad, right? Like he's got brothers and sisters. We don't know anything about his childhood except for a couple references, his earliest days, uh, right after he was born. We've got one, one reference to him being 12 years old. And we know he was in the temple. He was asking questions. He was inquisitive. And it said that he was submissive to his parents. How many of you have a 12-year-old and you would describe them as submissive, inquisitive, and asking questions all the time, right? Like nobody, okay? So if that's you, you can go ahead and write a book. But we don't know much about Jesus's early years. Fast forward to when he was about 30. He has three years of public itinerant ministry that led to his, ultimately his public execution, death, and subsequent resurrection. Jesus Jesus did not get himself killed because he was all about loving your neighbor. He didn't get himself killed because he was the safe for the whole family. Tony Robbins meets Oprah Winfrey meets, you know, how to win friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie type guy. He was killed because everything about him was not safe, right? Like, 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 and today what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna look at the most radical passage, I think, in the entire Bible. And this is where Jesus is going to revolutionize and radicalize your entire life. He's gonna revolutionize your view of God, your view of Jesus, your view of yourself and the world around you. And so this is Mark chapter eight. If you got a Bible with me, go ahead and jump over there. We're gonna start in verses 27 through 28. And it says this, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Cesare Philippi and, and, and on the way, way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So what's going on here? Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's like, we got all these people following us. What are they saying about me? What's the, what's the word on the street? Like, what are they saying about who I am and what I'm all about? And the disciples are like, well, some say that you're a, you're, you're a teacher. You got some good stuff to say. Some say you're Elijah, that you're the guy that's gonna prepare the way for God's Christ, God's Messiah, God's inbreaking kingdom reign. Some people said that you're John the Baptist. Basically what the crowd is saying is Jesus is some sort of supporting actor type role. And what he does here, this is fascinating. He flips the question and in the next verse, in verse 29, and he says this, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now listen, this is the most important question. If you're sleeping on me, wake up. This is the most important question that you could ever have the right answer to. Who do you say that Jesus is? Every single person in this room, you have to actually have an answer to that question. And this is what Jesus' life does. It forces you into a corner. You have to actually make a decision. And so the question for you today, for me, for everybody that's ever lived, is what are you gonna do with this homeless, broke Jewish rabbi who claimed to be God and launched by far the greatest revolution in human history? 
history. Who do you say he is? What are you gonna do in him? This is the most important decision that you, you will ever make. It's not, listen, it's not, are you gonna buy the house? Is the, stock, is the housing market gonna crash? It's not uh, questions of, should I get the car? Should I not get the car? Should I get married? Should I invest over here? The most important question of your life is who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And so Peter here, I love this. He doesn't get it right all the time, but he kind of pipes up out of nowhere. He does get it right in this occasion, uh, except Jesus is gonna correct him a little bit here. He says, says in, in verse uh, 29, Peter answered him, you are the Christ, says Peter. And this is where this gets crazy. So that word, that title right there, Christ, it's Christ in Greek, Messiah in Hebrew, and it's referring to the Jewish people of Jesus's day had this expectation of an eschatological or end time sort of king, that he was gonna be like King David on steroids, right? You guys remember King David? He was the guy, you know, killed Goliath and uh, this Titan warrior king figure of the Old Testament. And this Christ, God's Christ as Messiah, was gonna bring about God's reign on the earth. And Jesus shows up in Mark chapter eight and he's like, hey you know, like, what's up, players? I'm here, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king that you have all been actually waiting for. Jesus is like, it's, it, it's me. And this is the central idea of Jesus's life that you have to understand. If you miss this, you don't understand his life, his mission, what he's all about. It was all, he's all about this idea of the kingdom of God. And this is why you cannot ever reduce Christianity to just a set of nice ideas and doctrines. You can't reduce Christianity just to that level because it's ultimately about a kingdom guys and a king and the inbreaking of that kingdom here and now through that king who is Jesus. This is what Christianity is all about. It's about the new world order breaking into the here and now. How does Jesus renew all things? Dude, it starts with you right now coming in contact with the reign of his kingdom and experiencing the transformation uh, that he wants to bring into the context of your life. And so what's interesting, in, in fact, if you look at the gospels, there's all of these different healing miracles. We talk about this, right? But what Jesus wasn't just, he wasn't, it wasn't just about the healing. It was, that was great. But Jesus was doing something more than just healing healing people. And so what happened in Jesus's day and in, in, in the era that the gospels were written, uh, if you had a Jewish person who was sick or diseased uh, or a leper or whatever it was, they were actually technically speaking a blemished Jew and they weren't able to experience the full benefit of being the people of God. And so what Jesus is doing when he's healing them, he's not just healing them physically, he's healing them socially and emotionally and culturally and spiritually and physically, like this is what Jesus does. And so there's this woman actually in the gospels, she had this hemorrhaging issue for 12 years. She spent all of her money on doctors. She ended up worse than she was beforehand. Hashtag big pharma, didn't work out too good for her, all right? And so she's, she's still got this issue of blood and she has this crazy idea. Man, if I could just actually touch the hem of his garment, I would be made whole. And so what does she do? She reaches out, she grabs the hem of Jesus' garment. It says in the Bible that, that he felt power go out from him. It wasn't that his, you know, like level of power was going down. It was that the kingdom just rushed through him because faith touched him and she was immediately made 
well. Guys, she was a cultural, she, she was a cultural and societal outcast. This is the type of person that the modern individual would try to avoid. Jesus healed her and he brought her back in to fellowship with the people of God. What's he doing? He's reconstituting the people of God around himself. That's the scandal of his life. In fact, with the lepers, uh, it, 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 the leper would have to walk around and shout unclean, unclean when they get around people that didn't have leprosy. So they would actually avoid them and not contract the same skin disease that they had. What does Jesus do? He touches the leper. Are you joking? He what's going on? It's this picture of, listen, the uncleanness, unholiness, the blemish, the sin of your life, it's not greater than Jesus's touch. He's not afraid to get his hands on you and actually deliver you from, do you know how, how liberating that is, man? Like, I mean, seriously, think about this. There's this passage in Isaiah where Isaiah is talking about the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, and he says, the people dwelling in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Do you know how liberating that is for you? Because listen, it's, this is not about you finding light. Guys, this is not about you getting yourself cleaned up, getting your sin stuff figured out, your broken, busted up marriage and life and dysfunction all taken care of, and then you can come to Jesus. What's Jesus all about? He's like, the light is gonna shine on you when you're in the dark, when you're addicted, when you're strung out, when you're messed up, when you just got a divorce, when your family just blew up in a million different directions, that is when the life of Jesus, the light of Jesus is gonna shine on you and he's actually gonna come uh, in your direction. He, he's not repelled from the brokenness of your life. He's attracted to it. That's the scandal of his life. He doesn't, this isn't about you getting good. This is about God being good and coming in your direction, even in the midst of your brokenness, your sin, your dysfunction. And so that's the, the only way that you get that, by the way, is if Jesus is the king. And here's the thing. If he's the king, that means he's commanding complete allegiances, right? If he's the king, that's, like he gets your total complete allegiance. And this is why there's only two types of people in the gospels. Category number one are those who loved and worshiped him as God, left everything to follow him. That's category number one. Category number two are those who hated him, rejected him, and wanted to throw him off a cliff. There's no middle ground. There's two types of people, right? And, and, and so, you know, like the, the, the modern person, what we've done is we've decided that there's a third way to respond to Jesus, and that's this idea of neutrality. And in the Bible, you know, we don't see that. And so the question is why? Why the contrast? Why some people love, worship, serve him as God and other people just totally reject him and crucify him? What's up with this? It's because of the exclusivity and the extent of his claim. In fact, in the gospel of John, at one point, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he's like, listen, what you need to understand about me, before Abraham was, I am is what Jesus says. Now, as modern readers, we read right over that. What Jesus is doing is he's claiming divinity. Right? He says, before Abraham existed, all those hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I am, right? And, and, and what he's doing, I am, is, is this idea in the Old Testament where God gives his name to his people and he says, I am Yahweh. I am who I am. And Jesus is showing up and this is why you, listen, dude, you cannot reduce Jesus to just a nice guy that said some nice things. His self-understanding of himself was that he was God in the flesh, right? 
Like, like you can't just reduce him to a guy that said some nice stuff one time because he, he hasn't actually given you that option. He was a walking, breathing scandal. Like he always left people asking the question like, oh, did he just really say that? You know, like, did that actually just happen? Jesus, did you just do that? It's like, you know, I gotta go here. It's like the Oscars this last week, you know, like, like we all saw that. Like Will Smith just get up and just boom, you know, slap Chris Rock on the face. It's like, did that really just happen? You know, like, do you think it was legit or not? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't really care though. But right, like, like everybody's talking about it. Why? Because it was scandalous. Guys, this is the effect of Jesus. He was jarring. And this is, and what, what we've done is we've reduced him to this nice little pet that we bring out and we pet on the head every once in a while and we go and we kind of live our life and we bring our Bible verse out whenever we need some encouragement. And Jesus is like, yo, you can't do that. He's like, I am legitimately, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm God in the flesh. You have to make a decision. Jesus as Christ is an incredible claim of exclusivity. And it's something modern people don't like at all. And Jesus is like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta decide. Who do you say that I am? And this is why C.S. Lewis says this. I've got this quote from, from C.S. Lewis. He says this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Boom, mic drop, C.S. Lewis from the back, right? Like this is, this is what, this is the first crisis of faith that Jesus confronts you with. You have to actually decide. And what he goes on to do here in, uh, in Mark chapter eight that's fascinating is he begins to totally reframe how everybody thought this whole Christ thing was actually gonna go down. How was the kingdom of God going to come? Was it gonna come through political power? Was it gonna come through violence? Was it gonna come through escapism and we just have to kind of become our own little crew over here in the wilderness and get away from sinful, corrupt society? Was it gonna come through religious law observance, hopping up on the religious treadmill, do good Christian morality? How was it actually gonna come? And Jesus, what he does is he's like, no to all of that. Listen, he, he, he goes on in verses 31 uh, through 33, and it says this, and he began to teach them that the son of man, Jesus's favorite self-descriptor of himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Look at this. And Peter, this is where he gets it wrong, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Always a bad day. I don't advise that. It's just not gonna turn out well for you. Don't rebuke Jesus. Look at verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Like, that's a bad day in church. Jesus is like, yo, like, you're the devil. You know, get behind me. Like, that's a, that's a really bad day for Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God. Of man, how's the kingdom of God gonna come? It's not through political power. How's the kingdom of God gonna come? It's not through violence. How's the kingdom gonna come? It's not through escapism and us withdrawing from culture. Jesus calls us to be the salt and the light. It's not through us being, you know, really good religious robots, right? It's through his sacrifice and self-denial, 
right? And that's why Peter's rebuking him because he's like, wow, Jesus, I don't have a paradigm for this. Has Jesus ever proven to you to be a little bit different than you thought he was? I would actually venture to say, if that hasn't happened to you, you're not following him very closely. And so Peter, he's like, I don't have a paradigm for this. The, the, you know, like suffering and death, like that's what you're gonna be all about. You're gonna deny yourself. You're gonna pick up a cross. You're gonna be killed and rejected. That's how this whole thing is gonna take off here. And he gets himself in trubs because of it. And uh, it, Jesus proves to be something different than what Peter thought. Now, here's the thing. These next verses, what you need to understand, this is where you get radicalized, okay? I don't know if you're ready for this, but this is, this is like the type of scripture that grips you and changes you literally for the rest of your life. This next part is where Jesus's life, everything we've just talked about, begins to hit yours. Because over and over and over again, Jesus constantly is pressing back and saying, listen, this isn't just about you looking at me and standing and clapping and being impressed, but I want something more in the context of your life. Look at verse 34 uh, through 38 with me. It says this, and calling the crowd to him, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'm sorry, what? Right? Like, what, what is that? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, yikes of him, the, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels." So that's intense, right? I mean, look at, look at how crazy this is. What's Jesus saying? You wanna come after me? Deny yourself, not affirm yourself. Pick up your cross, not his cross. He already carried his cross. You have a cross. And he's like, you gotta carry it. Pick it up and, and follow me. Number three, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. Like this is crazy to our modern minds. And this is what it means to be a Christian, guys. Sermon in a sentence, big idea. Here's the whole point today. Jesus doesn't say, come and believe in me. He he says, follow me, right? Yeah, believe in him, that's great. But listen, believing that does not lead to action and habit and lifestyle, believing that doesn't lead to denying yourself, picking up your cross and following him, you're not actually believing. Jesus says, don't just believe in me. I want you to actually follow, right? I want you to actually follow after me. And come and follow me into self-denial and self-sacrifice. This is kind of like the core idea of discipleship, guys. And I know so many people, and let me just freak you out for a second. I know so many people in church world that will say stuff like this. When you you know, I grew up in church, I went to church, it was great. I went to a Christian camp and I prayed a prayer one time and I show up to church every once in a while and I'm good, right? And, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but here's the thing, you're not in this category, right? And that should freak you out, why? Because are you denying yourself? Are you picking up your cross? Are you following him? No, you just prayed a prayer one time, right? Jesus is after something so much deeper and a greater work in your life uh, than, than, than just praying a prayer one time. I mean, see, so if Jesus is king, here's the point, he gets the market on your life. It, like he does. If he's gonna be the king, if he's gonna be Christ, that means that he gets to decide how you view and how you handle sex, how you handle money and relationships, how you do parenting, how you do marriage, how you exist in the church as a disciple of Jesus, how you exist in the midst of culture. Like he gets to market on how you live your life. And so, you know, it's this idea that if, if, if you have not become a radically different person, you might not be following Jesus as well as you think you have, have been. 
right? Have you, have you, I mean, think about it. Have you, would you say you have become a radically different type of person as you've been following Jesus? Because let's be real, guys. Can we just, like, this is like brutal, crazy Jesus right here. Like, okay, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Does that sound like the modern American individual, right? No, absolutely not. It's like the complete opposite. And he's, he's after radicalizing you. Like he doesn't just wanna just have you exist in this nice little beliefism category. He wants to completely overhaul and upend everything about your life, period. <laughs> Which is good news, by the way, because you're a disaster. And so am I. And so that's what we need him to do. But here's the thing. Did you know he's not even promising easy right here? In fact, he's promising pain, right? He's not like, yeah, do this and it's going to be great and you're never going to have any issues. He's like, yeah, the cross, yeah, it's actually where we get the word excruciating, by the way. And sometimes following Jesus feels exactly like that. Can I get an amen from somebody in church, right? Like he's actually promising pain. Mark chapter eight, this is not self-help guru, Joel Osteen. God wants you healthy, wealthy, blessed, and wise. And Jesus saying everything's going to go well for you and it's going to be comfortable and easy. This is not safe for the whole family. Jesus, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, listen, some of you, this is, it, it, it's so pathetic. You don't sacrifice anything, right? Your faith in Jesus does not cost you anything, right? You, 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 don't, you don't have a cross. You've got a Tempur-Pedic, right? Like you just, there's, there's no sacrifice. There's no pain. There's no difficulty. And in fact, Daryl Johnson, he says this, discipleship that costs you nothing is worth exactly that, And so here's the thing, for, for, for a lot of us in the church, Christianity is just boring. Listen, it's not boring if you're bored, you're not doing it right because following Jesus is terrifying. Like, like it's absolutely, like seriously guys, it's terrifying. In fact, I was talking with this one gal at our church uh, this last week who is awesome. She's been here for several years and God's done an amazing work in her life as she's been here. And uh, she's, she spent all of this time and energy uh, trying to get to this certain place in her career and home ownership. And now she's, she's got the job and she's actually clumb, climbed to the highest rung that she can actually possibly get in her organization. She's established. She's well-respected. She's got everything that she envisioned in a very short period of time. And now while she's at the top of the rung, Jesus shows up and he speaks to her and he says, hey, are you willing to leave it all? Like, are you willing to actually walk away from it and move to the other end of the country to a place you've never been before? You don't have any relationships or any networking. You got nothing. You just kind of got this potential of the school. Are you willing to walk away from that and follow me, right? Guys, this is terrifying, right? Like that's literally, and my question is, are, you know, like for you, are you following Jesus where he could speak to you like that and you would actually hear him or not, right? Like, are you close enough to where you would actually hear him say that? This is what's so terrifying about following Jesus. You could wake up one day and all of a sudden your entire life, he just like goes up to the table of your life and he's just like, 
you know? And it's like all up in the air and it's like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? This is, this is what following Jesus actually looks like. This is what it is. In fact, uh, you know, so much of our staff conversation this last, the last several weeks that I wanted to talk with our team about and what I wanna spend time talking with you about is this idea of making disciples. This is why actually the mission statement of our church, what we're all about, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Why this is so important is because you know, like we can get caught up in tasks, guys, in church. We can get caught up in just the busyness of ministry. We can add a third service, which is great. Thank God for it. We can add more volunteers and do a big recruiting thing, which is great. Thank God for it. And thank you so much to all of you that are helping us do this thing. But when we get off track is when we get busy and allow the busyness of life and ministry to actually keep us from the mission of making disciples. This is what it's all about. And here's what we need to reevaluate, guys. And I'm speaking to church people now. You may not be following Jesus as well as you think you are. Notice what Jesus doesn't say in Mark chapter eight. He doesn't say, have an opinion about everything, right? He's not asking for your opinion. He doesn't care about your opinion. He's not asking for words. He's not asking for a nice little Bible verse in the midst of your Instagram bio somewhere. He's after radicalizing everything about your life to reflect him. Pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow. What's Jesus saying? I'm out ahead of you on this thing. Right? We just read that. He's like, I'm, I'm denying myself. I'm picking up my cross. I'm walking in the will of God. Come and follow me in this direction. Right? In, in marriage and parenting and relationships and work and church and city. And teach others then how to do the exact same thing. Anything else, guys? Let me just read with you. It's fake. It's not real. It's fluff. It's not legit. Anything else other than that falls short from what God is after in his church and in our lives. And in fact, uh, there's this fascinating image in Revelation chapter six. And uh, we get this picture of uh, Jesus opening these different seals and there's these judgments. And I think it's the fifth seal in Revelation chapter six when it gets open. We see this vision of uh, all of these people who had been martyred for their faith in Jesus underneath the altar. And they begin to cry out to God and say, hey, when are you gonna bring justice on our enemies? When are you gonna make this right? And you know what God says back to them? He gives them a white robe and he says, sleep a little bit because the number of those who are to be killed for the sake of the lamb hasn't yet come into the kingdom. <laughs> like, that's, like that's, that's Jesus. This is why when people say, oh, listen, man, you just gotta be in the will of God. It's the safest place for you to be. Like, listen, do you understand the will of God could get you killed, bro? Like 75 million people, scholars say, have been martyred for their faith in Jesus. I think about 45 million of them were in the last 100 years. Like this is, this is following Jesus could actually cost you everything. And at first glance, it's like, like wow, that's really scary. Like I just wanted to come to church and get encouraged, you know? Like, like it's really scary, right? Like that's, but here's, here's, here's what you need to understand. Can I bring you some hope and some good news now? What Jesus is doing is he's actually liberating you. Did you know that? What Jesus is doing in Mark chapter eight, it's a sharp dagger that like pierces you and runs you through and cuts you to the ground. But what he's doing is he's actually liberating you. He's setting you free, right? Like this is, what, this is what Jesus is after. He, he, you know, culture says, affirm yourself, do what you want, don't sacrifice, you're gonna find life there. And Jesus is like, that's not gonna work. It's never gonna work. You're gonna find life when you lay it down. Yeah. 
Right, in fact, David Foster Wallace, he says this before he tragically committed suicide in the early 2000s. He was speaking at a commencement uh, uh, event for a college, and he says this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice that we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else you worship is gonna eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you're never gonna have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you're always gonna feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already, but the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They're default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. To which Jesus says, let me liberate you. Let me set you free from that narrative that's gonna kill you. It's like a cancer. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. He's like, listen, do you think that you are gonna find everything that you're looking for in these stupid, idiotic, little temporal pleasures? Jesus is like, you're, 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 you're not, you're a loser. You call that life? You're, that's not life, you're a sellout is what Jesus is saying. And this is why C.S. Lewis, uh, he says, cause you know, you're not really preaching unless you mention C.S. Lewis at least twice. So let me just hit my quota here, uh, right? C.S. Lewis, he, he talks about this idea. It's like, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're like four-year-old kids that are settling to make mud pies in the rain when we could have a vacation at the sea. What's Jesus saying is, listen, you're settling for the shiny rock in front of you when you could have the adventure of a lifetime and you could have the eternal pleasures of God as you follow Jesus. That's what God, that's what Jesus is after right here. I mean, look at the promise in verse 35. Whoever loses his life will find it. What's Jesus' promise to you? Life. Oof, three services. I don't have time to just preach that. That sucks. Oh, brutal, right? Life, joy, fulfillment, satisfaction. And in fact, John chapter 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come to give life and to give it more abundantly. The word life right there, Jesus uses zoe. It's life and life to the full. It's eternal life. And the ironic thing is you don't get it by living into the narrative of the 21st century Western world. When you look at the societal cultural narratives, do we see a people flourishing? No, not at all. And Jesus says, it's because you're going after it the wrong way. You're looking for me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come follow me. I mean, do you know how epic that is, man? I mean, listen, here's the thing about Christianity. Let me just close with this. Here's the thing about Christianity that's different than Islam and Judaism and Hinduism any, and anything else. We, we aren't just interested in an ancient teaching recorded in a book, right? We worship a Savior who's alive, who loves and who serves and who teaches and who guides daily. And in fact, Donald Miller, he says this, every great heroic story is structured in a similar way. There's a character, the character has a problem, then meets a guide who gives them a plan and calls them to action. And that action either leads to success or to failure. So you look at, you know, like Star Wars, you get Luke Skywalker, he's got Obi-Wan Kenobi. You've got Dwight, he's got Michael. You've got Katniss Everdeen, she's got Hamish. You've got Frodo and he's got Gandalf, right? We see that 
uh, playing out all over the place. But here's the thing. These stories, guys, they're all imitations of the true and the better story that Jesus is after. Jesus is inviting you into that true and better story where he's the hero, where he's the guide, where he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother, where he's your treasure that's worth denying all for. Why can you do that? Listen, it's because he denied himself and he picked up his cross for you because you were his true treasure. Amen? That's where the grace is. That's where the power is. When you realize heaven went bankrupt to get you back because you're his true treasure. Would you stand with me? I wanna pray to that end here this morning. This is, this, is the, this is the ultimate question about life. Will you not just believe in Jesus, but will you actually trust him? Will you follow him as he leads you into the way of life that's truly life? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would release a great grace over us here at New Song Church to not just believe in you, but to actually trust you and to lean into you and to throw the weight of our lives upon you and to follow. God, I pray that you would make us truly into this community that you're after. I know that's the beautiful community, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would reflect the nature and the character of Jesus to one another, to our city as we deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you in our marriages this week and the fight that we had with our spouse on the way to church this morning and the difficulty of parenting and the stage of life our kids are at in our workplace, uh, in our day-to-day interactions with people. Lord Jesus, would you make us a people to reflect you? And God, I pray any person that is in this room that has not uh, made that decision to say with Peter the most important declaration that any person could ever speak forth that you are the Christ, that you came to save, you came to liberate, you came to set free, you came to die, to forgive for sin, and to overhaul our lives. God, I pray that you would just bring such a conviction down uh, on these individuals that you would give them grace to respond to the gospel and surrender everything and fall into your embrace as they come in contact with the reality that they are ultimately your treasure first. In Jesus' name, bless your people. And all God's people said. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for coming. If we can pray for you, we would love to do so. We got a prayer team up here off to my left, your right. Otherwise, have a great week. Remember to be kind to those that God has placed around you and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for coming, everybody.